As Dave said, this morning we're going to talk about the parable of the sower, continuing our, our series on the parables of Jesus or Jesus' bedtime stories. Last week I read for you a portion of Fox and Socks. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that for you again this week. I know you're all looking forward to my numb tongue again, but I'm going to let that just, one week was good. Now you know what my kids have to put up with every single week. But you know, as Dave said, Jesus taught in parables, especially toward the end of his ministry on this earth. He taught in parables, not just to reveal a lot of information, but really, as we talked about last week, it was really to hide things from those who were not seeking. So those who had ears to hear, they were seeking out the truth, and they were looking, and they were, God says, I'm re- presenting these parables to you because I want to reveal my truth to those who are looking, to those who have hard hearts, to those who don't want to seek me, to those who are just despising me, the message is hid. But to those who are seeking the truth, it is there to be found. And this message of the sower really kind of plays into that. If you remember last week, we looked at the, Jesus tells a parable of the sower, and then the disciples came up with this question, why are you teaching in parables? And then Jesus goes and explains it. So we're going to go back now and look at the parable that Jesus taught that kind of kicked off this whole discussion for the, for the disciples. And Dave read the parable this morning about the sower who goes out to the field. He casts the grain. Some landed on the hard soil. Some landed on the stony soil. Some landed in the thorns. Some landed in the, the hard, the good soil. But why did he start with that one? Why did Jesus start with that parable. If you look in your Bible there, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, he starts off, he says, on that same day. What had just happened on that same day that caused Jesus to go and begin with these parables? That same day goes back to chapter 12, where he had been speaking of the, being the, of the Lord of the Sabbath. The disciples had been walking through the vineyards, or through the grain fields, rather, picking the grains and eating them. And then the Pharisees came, and they just tried to lamb blast Jesus said, who are your disciples to go and work on the Sabbath? (gasps) Who are your disciples to go and pick grain on the Sabbath and eat it? That's work. You shouldn't do anything on the Sabbath, right? And Jesus says, no. I am Lord of the Sabbath. And began teaching a lesson and confronting the false teaching of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. He healed the crowds on that day. He cast out demons on the day. He confronted the Pharisees' blasphemy. And they they are angry at him. And he got really angry angry at them when they tried to turn around and say you're doing all these miracles by the power of satan and jesus got so upset he says you are not destined for the kingdom of god you have blasphemed against the holy spirit then he gave the sign of jonah he says as jonah was in the in the fish for three days so the son of man will be three days in the ground you're always seeking a sign you wicked generation But the only sign I'm going to give you is that of Jonah. Three days in the fish, the Son of Man will be three days in the ground. And then his mother and his his brothers tried to coerce him to stop. Stop ticking off the religious people. Stop ticking off the Pharisees and Sadducees. Just be nice to them. And you're, you're, you're a good rabbi. You're teaching good things. Just be nice. So Jesus went to the mountainside with his disciples and those who were following and began to teach in parables. It says he went by the seaside. He went and he sat in the boat. And why did Jesus go and sit? Why not stand? You're in the boat. 
Why not stand there holding on to the mast? Why not stand in the boat? Even though it's out a little bit from shore, it's not way out there a little way. Why not stand where people can see, right? We have a platform here, and I stand on the platform so that you can all see my beautiful, shining face as opposed to my sunroof behind me, right? The pattern of the rabbis at that time was when they were getting ready to teach, they were walking around with all the disciples or walking around with those who were following. And then they, when they got ready to teach, they would sit. And that let everybody know it's time to pay attention. The rabbi is getting ready to teach. In churches, the pastor walks up to the platform, stands behind a, a podium or a table or some kind of pulpit, and then everybody knows it's now time to hear the Word of God taught. That's in our culture. But in that culture back then, when the rabbi sat, it's time to pay attention. And everybody would stand up and get to a place where they could see the rabbi and get to a place where they could hear the rabbi because they wanted to hear what he was going to teach. It was very important to them. So Jesus is following the cultural practice of that time. And also being offshore a little bit, the winds a lot of times come in from off the water and that would carry his voice into the multitudes. When Dr. talked about the Sermon on the Mount, he went to the top of the mountain and the winds came over the top of the mountain and carried his voice down to the people who were there. So he was all, he didn't have a megaphone, he didn't have a sound system, he didn't have a headset mic, he didn't have all these things that we have today. He would get to a place where the wind would carry his voice and he wouldn't have to shout. Being very wise. As he begins to teach in the parables, especially in this parable, he's teaching to the hearts of those who are open to hear. We talked about this briefly last week. He's teaching to the hearts of those open to hear. Everybody had the law. They had the temple. They've been living their lives, their religious lives, for years. Many of them satisfied with their religiosity. And they'd forgotten that God was looking at men's hearts. He was not so much concerned with what they did throughout the week and how many sacrifices they offered, but he was more concerned with their hearts and with his hearts completely committed to him. Remember, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. The Bible doesn't say love the Lord your God with your sacrifices. He doesn't say love the Lord your God with your attendance. He doesn't say love the Lord your God with, your, with how many scriptures passages and how many chapters in the Bible you can read every day. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Because God knows when he's got your heart, everything else comes naturally. When he's got your heart, you won't despise reading his word. When he's got your heart, you're going to love to be in his house with his people. When he's got your heart, it's not going to be a drudgery. Oh, the offering plate's coming around. How much can I give this morning? When he's got your heart, everything else is natural. So as Jesus is teaching to men's hearts this morning, he's saying, pay attention to your soil. Remember, he goes on, we're getting ready to read in a second, the next section in chapter 13, and he explains that the soil that is used represents man's heart. Look over in chapter 13, verse 18, and follow with me. 
as he explains this parable to his disciples. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart and what has been sown along the path. For what was sown on, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And as for what it was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of the riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Look what he says there in, in verse 18. He says, hear the word, hear the parable of the sower. Why would Jesus say hear? Obviously, everybody heard the words. Everybody heard what he said. My kids hear when I give them instructions. Do they always obey? No. They hear and understand. When you hear and understand, then you go and do, Hopefully. When you hear and understand the message of God's word, you're going to hear and understand and go do and obey and live that way. So literally, you could, this literally is in Greek, he says, understand the parable of the sower. I want you to fully comprehend what I'm getting ready to tell you. It's not just words coming out of my mouth. I'm not just speaking to hear myself speak. I'm speaking as I want you to understand the hearts of men. I want you to understand what you're going to face when you go and share the message of the truth of God's word with people in this world. Understand. Verse 19 and 23 are kind of the bookends of this section. Verse 19 says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, evil one comes and snatches away what was sown. And then verse 23, he says, As for one who is sown in the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and he bears fruit. See, the difference between the first three forms, the first three types of soil, and the last type of soil is the fruitfulness involved. Satan's desire is to make us fruitless people. Satan's desire is to keep this world living in sin, to keep this world hidden from the truth of God's word, to keep this world fruitless like this tree up here. It looks good. Maybe it looked good coming from the outside when it was first popping up. The, maybe the farmer of this orchard was like, oh, good, I got a bunch of trees come popping up. But what happened? The fruit died away. We don't know what happened in that picture. But there's no fruit. The tree is worth nothing but to be cut down and thrown in the fire to provide fire and warmth for his people. Instead, God's desire is that we become fruitful people of God that we yield fruit, that we are bearing fruit according to our kind. And we're just, if, if we are spiritual people, we're to be yield spiritual fruit. First Corinthians, Paul says, talk about fruitlessness. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, 
divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That is the fruit of the devil. That is what Satan wants, how Satan wants people to live. That is this kind of life, a fruitless life. The scary thing is, we can, we can all look at this list and go, oh yeah, I don't have sexual impurity in my life. I'm not living a life of impurity or sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. But he goes on, he says, and things like these. This is not an exhaustive list. If your life is like this, if you're living a life like this, then verse 21 there in 1 Corinthians says, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things or those who live according to the pattern of this list will not inherit the kingdom of God. Scary passage here, 1 Corinthians 6. Scary, scary passage. If that exemplifies your life, you are like this first three types of soil that we're going to look at in just a second. Opposite of that, living a fruitful life, Galatians chapter 22, 23, and 24, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. He's saying, do you want to live a fruitless life or a fruitful life? Which life do you want to live? Which one is God pleased with? Which one is God trying to grow and build in you? When you hear the message of God's word, what's your heart like? When you hear the message of God's word, what is your heart like? Let's break this down. Let's look at some of the characters here that he's talking about. The sower. The sower would have been a very familiar image to the people of that time. Someone who's taking the grain and throwing it in the field. Who takes it and he's got a bag here and he reaches in with his hand and throws it out. I've tried to do that. I'm not very good at it. I'm not a farmer. I don't have a lot of practice at it. But these farmers were good. They could take and they could fling their seed on the, in, the, in the field. They could fling it right where they, they could make it land right where they wanted. Why would they want to lay the, the seed right in this, in this bare patch? No. They're going to take the seed and they're going to throw it in the good soil. They're going to try to throw it where it's going to do the most good. They're going to throw it, but they can't always hit because they're throwing it like this and scattering it. It's not going to always lay within the boundaries. So when Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower, he says some of that seed's going to fall on the path. Some's going to fall in the rocky area. Some's going to fall in the thorny area. But a lot of it's going to fall also in the good soil. In A.D. 30-33, the sower was Jesus during his heavenly ministry. And then the Holy Spirit after he went up. And now those in the body of Christ, we are now the sowers of God's message. We have the word of God with us. We take the word of God as we live our lives every single day to go and make disciples. As you live your life, the Bible says, go and make disciples. You take the seed, you take the message, you take the gospel, and you take it and you cast it out. You throw it out there. And you let the seed go forward. See, the sower is anyone who shares the word of God with those around us. Secondly, we've got some seed. The gospel message, the little tiny seed here popping up, bing. 
the same message is going out. It doesn't say there's different message. It doesn't say there's different seed. The sower's not taking a grass seed over here and a potato seed there and a squash seed over there. He's taking the same seed and he's casting it. The same seed and casting it. Same seed and casting it. We do not change our message just to make it palatable to the world. The message never changes. The Word of God never changes. This book that we read, this book that we study, this book that explains to us the mind of God and the heart of God does not change, has not changed for 4,000 plus years. It never changes. The message stays consistent. We may change some of our methods. Maybe the sower is going to take it and throw it backhanded. Maybe he's going to throw it this way. But the message itself never changes. And the response, also important to note, the response from the soil is not determined by the change of message. The soil is going to yield its results based on the soil itself, not based on the message. The same message yields different results in different soil. And lastly, we're going to look at the soil, the human heart, which represents the human heart that's receiving the message of truth. Preparing the heart was not the, preparing the, heart was not the job of the sower in this parable, but the job of the hearer. Preparing one's heart to hear the message was not the sower's job. It was not the farmer's job. It was the job of the hearer. When a person has ears to hear, he's preparing his own soul. He's preparing his heart. He said, I am seeking the truth. I'm seeking what God wants for me. I'm seeking, oh God, what do you have out there in store for me? And you are seeking God's truth. That person is preparing his own heart to receive the message of truth. And they will find it. Let's take a look next at the first, at the four different types of soil. When we share the word of God with people, there are different kinds of responses we're going to get, aren't there? How many times have you taken the word of God and you shared it with somebody and just right there they're going, yes, I need that message. And they fall on their knees and they accept Christ or they, they acknowledge their sin in their lives and they fall and they repent and they live a long, fruitful life. You can take that same message, you can share it with somebody else, and they reject it outright, or maybe they make a little tiny tweak in their lives, but there's no long-term lasting change. What is the difference between those people? It's just the heart that it's falling on, isn't it? The message stays the same. Your job stays the same. You maybe get better practiced at it, but the heart that it falls on is really what determines the difference. My point here this morning is to encourage you guys to not stop casting your seed. The first one, the unresponsive soil or the unresponsive heart. Verse 19 says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. You see, this person hears and has no real understanding, and the evil one snatches away the truth of the word. It's this dry, rocky soil. You ever gone out and tried to seed your grass in your yard? I've got this bare patch in my yard. And this fall, when things cool down a little bit, I'm going to take out grass seed, and I'm going to try to throw the grass seed on that patch, right? Try to 
So hopefully during the fall, during the wintertime, as we can water it and water it and the grass will come back next year and I won't have this ugly bear patch. But who's going to be interested in what I'm throwing out there on that, that bear patch? The birds, the rabbits, everything else besides what I want. I, I'm going to be out there. I mean, you're going to take the, maybe put some hay on top of it, try to do whatever you can, cover it with plastic, do whatever you can to keep the birds away but they're creative creatures and they find ways to get into your stuff. The heart that is not prepared, the heart that is cold, he hears and has no understanding of the truth. This past week I had the opportunity to share with somebody here at church. He came around just wanting to go to the bathroom. Let him in to go to the bathroom. As he was outside, standing there, I had a chance to talk to him. I said, Josh, let me tell you the truth of God's word. Let me share with you how much God loves you. And he shared how he grew up in Utah. He'd gone to a Mormon church growing up. He'd gone to a non-denominational church after that. And he was just sick of all the religiosity that he saw there and experienced in those churches. And he said, you know, I think I'm just going to live my life good and God's going to accept me just the way I am. It didn't matter what arguments I brought into the picture. It doesn't matter what passages from God's word I brought into the, to the discussion. It didn't matter. He was set in his heart to not listen to the truth because he knew that God was just going to accept him no matter what. I was casting out seed. I was casting out the message. I was throwing it on the ground, throwing it on the ground, and every time it hit, Satan would come and snatch it away. You throw it on the ground, Satan came and snatched it away because this young man's heart was not prepared to hear. Does that mean I stopped casting out the seed? No. Does that mean I stop and I recognize it that, oh, he's just not going to listen, so I'm just going to walk away? No. My job is just to cast the seed. To cast the seed. When he walks away without turning his heart to Jesus, does my heart hurt? Yes. Because I know if he walks away and something were to happen to him that he was going to enter not into God's kingdom based on his good works, but he was going to be cast into the lake of fire. And that hurt my heart. But yet my job is not convince him, not to coerce him, not to force him into believing. My job is just to cast the seed. Reach in my bag and cast the seed. Now I'm left-handed, so I'll reach in my bag and cast the seed this way. That's my job. Like trying to water grass on a hard Colorado day. And you know that water hits that hard Colorado clay and just runs off, right? A few weeks ago, I turned on my sprinklers at night, about 8 o'clock at night, then went to bed. Woke up at 6 in the morning. What's that noise? Even after 10 hours, that water had not penetrated that clay. We had a lake, run, a river running down our street, and the city of Thornton thanked me a couple weeks later with a nice water bill. Thank you. But I was thinking, oh, good, it's been running for eight hours, right? 
Maybe my grass will appreciate it and thank me for it. Oh, no. No, it didn't. It, it didn't. Cynthia Thornton thanked me for it. The hard clay is like casting your seed. The heart is not ready. The Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Hard, lack of repentance, lack of a sense of guilt, heart that has never been softened by conviction of sin. He is self-sufficient, self-satisfied, and self-righteous. Think of Nebuchadnezzar. There was a dream he had. And God was warning him, don't be proud. One day, if you don't turn your way, I'm going to humble you. And Nebuchadnezzar, right then, said, oh, I'm going to make a change. We're going to make a change. I'm acknowledging the God of heaven. But sure enough, what happened just down the road? He woke up one morning, walked out on his balcony and said, look at this beautiful city that I have built. And the voice from heaven said, you have been judged. He fell to his knees, and he acted like a cow for the next seven years. Eating the grass, his hair turned coarse, and then after seven years, he finally came to his senses, humbled himself before God, and he recognized the God of heaven. It took some time for his heart to be prepared. Hope that it won't take that much time for your heart to prepare as well. Secondly, the superficial soil. The person who hears with joy yet has no real root and falls away when confrontation comes. When a farmer casts his seed into this, into, onto his field and he begins to plow it, at that time the plow only went about 18 inches below the ground. So he would plow up as much as he could, make him his furrows. And then he'd plant his seed. And if he was lucky, it would take a little time for that seed to grow. It would take a little time to grow, to take root, and that, that root would grow deep. But if the, if the farmer found his seed all of a sudden, bing, popping up to the top, very quickly he knew, he knew that down below where his plow could reach, it was an area of hard soil or rock. And the roots, as they went down, hit that rock and couldn't go any further through it. And so they did they went the opposite direction. So the farmer, if he was wise, he would go in there and try to dig out and try to get all those rocks down below as best he could. But there was times when he couldn't quite get it all. And he'd find that deep area of rocky soil. That's what this is right here, the superficial soil. Seemingly responsive, seemingly just waiting for the message to come, but it's usually just an emotional response to the message of God's word. The person who says, yes, I need Jesus. And they pop up and they spring up and they're dancing around and they have this huge emotional response to receiving Jesus. But a short time later, they're gone. You don't see them any longer. They've, they've popped up and they're joyful for a short time, but then there's no long-term results. It means in their hearts it was only an emotional response, not a long-term response in their minds. It was a response up here just in their minds. There was no response in their hearts, committing their hearts to Christ. The gospel prompts in them an immediate positive reaction, but it's only temporary. 
There's no, resp- no repentance, no true remorse over sin, no recognition of their lostness, no contrition, no brokenness, and no true humility which leads to salvation. See, Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are poor in spirit recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. They recognize there's nothing they can do to get to God in their own power, in their own strength. They are spiritually bankrupt, and they are the ones who humble themselves before God, say, God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. They fall away when their faith is tested because the change that was in their lives was just a religious experience and not a transformational experience. How many times have we seen that happen? How many times have we shared with somebody and see change take place, they make a decision, they transform for a short time, and then they're gone because there was no long-term transformation. John MacArthur says, the same persecution that makes the false believer wither makes the true believer stronger. The persecution that comes and you people are teased about their faith or they're made to question their faith and makes the true believer stronger as they go deeper into God's word. They go deeper into their faith to find the truth that is in God's word. It's to find the truth that is found in God's Holy Spirit. It makes the true believer stronger, but it makes the false believer wither away. The Bible says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy 3.12. And says, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, 1 Peter 5.10. You will be challenged for your faith, period. Expect it. Know that it's going to come. And when it comes, dive deep. When it comes, drive deep. When it comes, find your hope and your peace in the Word of God, not in your own knowledge and understanding. The superficial heart. Thirdly, let's look at the worldly heart. The person who hears with joy, and yet the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches get in the way, proving unfruitful. Can you see those weeds up there? Can you see the thistles driving in and crowding out the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the person who cares only for his own life. He's making a decision. It's a convenient decision. We see a lot of these in politics. How many politicians do we know that say they are Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah I go, I go. I'm a Christian. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. The deceitfulness of riches, the lure of power. You make decisions based on those things alone. See, this person makes a token profession of faith, but it's really all about him. I'm going to make a profession of faith because I want to get something out of it. I want to receive something out of it. The real concern is for things. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith, and pierce themselves with many a pang. 
doesn't say money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. This person, this worldly person, they make a profession of faith simply for what it can get them. Some years ago, the Department of Agriculture developed a soil treatment that contains 6% ethyl alcohol. And when the solution is applied to a field in the proper amount, it reportedly causes all the weeds to sprout and grow vigorously. And once they are grown, the weeds can then be mechanically removed and have a chance, they have a chance to develop, before they have a chance to develop seeds. And then the field becomes virtually free of weeds for up to five years. A person who is worldly, the weeds come in and crowd out. A true believer, when the weeds come in to try to crowd out true faith, it creates an opportunity to pluck those weeds. It creates an opportunity for the true believer to go in and rip out the weeds, to rip out those things that are trying to discourage him, to trying to make him fruitless, that are trying to beat down his faith. Yet the worldly person, the worldly heart, encourages the weeds, encourages those things, encourages and doesn't want to weed them. He wants to embrace the weeds. This is the person who comes to church but never becomes committed to serving. He's continually preoccupied with money, his career, fashion, sports, and everything but the Lord's work. This person is a, has a weed-infested heart. He claims to love Christ but it cannot remain faithful in his marriage has a weedy heart. person who refuses to let go of worldliness is a person whom the seed of God's saving gospel has not found a root and is in danger of being choked out altogether. That's a scary, scary thing, those three hearts. The unresponsive heart, the superficial heart, the worldly heart, they are unredeemed. They have not been changed by the truths of God's word. They are fruitless. See, there's only two categories here. We talk about three different kinds of hearts, but there's really only two categories. You have the fruitless heart and the fruitful heart. The fruitless heart that Satan wants to encourage and trick people into living the lives and thinking that they're okay. And the fruitful heart, which recognizes their sin, they recognize where they are in Christ, and they want to strive to live a life that pleases God. And that's the last one we're going to look at this morning, the receptive heart. He hears with joy, understands it, and yields fruit in verse 23. It says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, he bears fruit and yields. In one case, 100, in one case, 60, and in another, 30. It's good soil, not because it's different, because, but because it's been rightly prepared. See, before salvation, the same basic nature had the same basic nature as everyone else. This soil, this receptive soil, had the same exact nature as all the other soil in the world. And yet, he had prepared his heart by seeking the truth. He'd been seeking the Lord. The only, see, the only behavior, excuse me, the only barrier to salvation 
is unbelief. It has nothing to do with how we live. The only barrier to salvation is unbelief. Think back on Abraham. God told Abraham, go and sacrifice Isaac. He said, this is the child I have promised you. This is the child through whom your descendants will come. This is the child through whom I'm going to make you a great nation, a mighty nation. (coughs) Go and sacrifice him. The Bible says, Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It didn't say he was given righteousness because of what he did or how he lived. It said his belief made him just before God. See, spiritual fruit is the inevitable product of his spiritual life. The ultimate mark of a true believer is fruit-bearing. You will bear fruit. You will have love. You will have joy. You will have peace. You will have patience. You will have kindness. You will have goodness. You will have faithfulness. You will have gentleness. You will bear self-control. And some of you are going, thank you, I need self-control. Some of you are elbowing your spouse. You will bear fruit period. The genuine believer also bears fruit of behavior in, first, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, the fruits of righteousness was come through Jesus Christ to the glory of God, the praise of God. Colossians 1, 6 says, the true believer is constantly bearing fruit. Now, how much fruit? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Jesus used the term 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. How many of us would like to get a 30-fold return on our investment, our, our, our retirement plan? Just a 30-fold. How many of us like to get a 10-fold return? <laughs> See, the typical farmer at that time was hoping for an 8-to-1 return, an 800% return, an 8-fold return. So Jesus is saying, when you, as a, as a child of God, when you are one of my children, you're going to receive a huge return on your investment. It's not your investment. It's God's investment in you. God's saying, I am investing myself in you, and I'm looking forward to seeing a 30-fold, 3,000%, a 60-fold, 6,000%, 100-fold, 100, a 10,000% return in your life. God's looking for the return. See, I'm not investing in myself. It's God investing in you. It's God investing in me. It's God investing in the world through us. Scattering that seed, scattering that seed, scattering that seed. And God is the the investor investing in us, investing in us. God is looking for a return on his investment. What did he pay? He paid with his son. He paid with his own life. He paid on the cross, hanging there for you and I. And he is looking for a return on investment. I hope that nobody in here invested in Enron years ago or had retirement accounts that were invested in Enron years ago or that 
had invested in one of Bernie, Bernie Madoff's schemes. God's returns are so much greater than what we can invest. I hope that every year I can get a 3 to 5 or 10%, 15% return on my, in my retirement account or my, my, my investments I invest in the stock market. I'm hoping I can get 10 to 15% every year, right? Some people are hoping for 3 to 5% or a 20%. God is looking for a 3,000, 6,000, 10,000% return in your life compounded over your life. He didn't invest in you just to see you sit. He scattered the seed in your life. He scattered that seed, the message of God's word, into your life so that he could get a return to see you in turn go out and reach others for Christ, to see you in turn go out and share the truth of God's word with all those around you, to see you in turn come and worship him in spirit and in truth, to come and lift up your hands on Sunday mornings and say, God, we love you. God, I praise you. It's not just an emotional response. I worship you. See, God invested in you so you could come to the altar and commit yourself again to him every single day so that you could recommit yourself to him as his child. To his disciples, the message of Jesus was spread the message. Some are going to reject. Some are going to hear and fall away. Some are going to get choked out. And some are going to bear fruit. But spread the message. That's the message to us as well. Don't lose heart. God alone can, God alone can plow up that hard ground. God alone can increase the depths of the roots. God alone can pull the weeds. That's not your job. Our job is this. Our job is casting that seed as far as we can get it and to everybody we can get it into. That is our job. Maybe this morning you're here considering Christ and that seed is falling on your heart. The question is, are you ready to receive the message of God's word? Is the seed, the truth of God's word is falling into your heart this morning? Are you the unresponsive one, the superficial one, the worldly one? Or this morning you're going to say, I'm the responsive one. I want to respond to the message of God's word. Are you the self-reliant person? Then let the, God, then let the Holy Spirit break up your hard-packed ground. Are you the superficial person? Let God get rid of your rocky subsoil. Are you the weedy person? Let God get rid of your desire for worldly things and desire truth, desire the truth that can only be found in God's word. That's the message this morning to you. Have you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute this morning as we consider and contemplate the message of God's word. Maybe in the past, believer, you've shared the truth and you've gotten frustrated and you've shared to spread your seed and you've gotten upset. You've shared the seed and not seen the results you wanted. Remember, it's not about you. It's about being faithful. In your heart this morning, I want you just to 
recommit yourself to the Lord, that you will be faithful to sharing and spreading the truth, to spreading the message. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never committed your life to Christ. The message is falling on you. How are you going to respond? This morning, I don't want you to leave here without having the opportunity to take the word of God with you. This morning, if you would say, Pastor, I've never received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've heard the message. I've heard about God's love for me. And I want to be the responsive heart who hears the message of God's word and responds, not just emotionally, because I need my sins gone. I need a relationship with Almighty God this morning. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you. Thank you. I need to experience the love of Christ in my heart this morning. I need just my sins gone. Anybody else? Very quickly this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you raised your hand this morning to receive Christ, you need to get that, have that responsive heart this morning. I want you to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've done so many bad things. I've offended you. And Jesus, this morning, I want to have all that gone. I want to have a new life this morning. And I acknowledge this morning, Jesus, that you sacrificed for me. That you gave it all for me. So that I might have new life in you. Jesus, this morning I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I can do nothing to please you. And I accept your gift for me that you died on the cross to give me. Accept me as your child. Forgive me of my sins. I want to walk with you this morning. And from this day forward, I commit my life, my heart, my thoughts, my speech, my daily actions. They're all committed to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed you that prayer this morning, I want to meet with you right after church this morning. I want to rejoice with you about the decision that you have made this morning because it's, it's a great thing to have your sins taken away. We're going to stand and sing one final song this morning. All to Jesus I surrender. And this is for all of us this morning that we are surrendering our lives every single day to Jesus. We're surrendering our thoughts to Jesus. We're surrendering our mouths to Jesus. We're surrendering our walk to Jesus every single day to do nothing aside from living the way he wants us to live as we sing together.